The following podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It does not reflect the views or opinions of my university or its affiliates. Hello, and as always, welcome to the Sister Wives Professor. That's me. I'm Dr. Adam a professor of interpersonal and family communication. In real life, yes, someone sent me a message on Facebook the other day, and really all it said was, you're not a real professor, are you? (laughs) I am very real. If I was going to make something up, I would have probably pretended to be a rock star or something that I thought I was going to be when I was 16 years old. I like what I am. I'm very happy with what I do, especially because I get to talk to you. But yeah, no, I would not make this up. (laughs) Anyway, among other things, including being very real, I am a very real follower of the TLC series, Sister Wives. And that's, of course, what we're here to talk about today, specifically Season 2, Episode 6, titled Polygamist Party. This is an interesting episode. I found it was kind of an odd, almost dissonant combination, kind of a juxtaposition of the Browns throwing this party under interesting pretenses, and I'll talk about that throughout the course of the episode, but it's paired with all this footage of Mary undergoing a procedure to screen for colon cancer in very tense and, to me, actually very relatable situations that she and Cody are navigating. It's just interesting. It was just an interesting episode. I want to say too, I've done a series rewatch of the totality of Sister Wives a couple times over the years, because I've been watching this show since around 2011. So I've gone back and rewatched the series quite a bit, but now that I'm rewatching it for the purposes of spending time with you and talking to you about it, I'll be honest, their time in Lehigh lasts a lot longer than I remembered. If you had asked me early on in this podcast or before, I always thought that they kind of rushed right to the Vegas move, and I do know that's coming. But there's just more time spent in Utah and in the big house than I would have recalled, which is just kind of interesting how we remember things the way they never were, right? Anyway, are you ready to talk about the episode? Of course you are. I'm ready to. Let's do that. We start with Mary and Cody on the couch together. Mary is talking about this party that makes up the title of the episode. They're having a party for friends who she emphasizes are not themselves polygamists. She gives the camera a very deliberate look when she says this for emphasis. Cody talks about there formerly being a barrier between his family and some of their friends. He raises his eyebrows as he says this and shakes a hand and ducks his head a tiny bit. Talking about the polygamy secrecy barrier. I've alluded to in the past, especially on Patreon, family systems theory, and how at some point I'm going to do a whole big podcast where I just unpack family systems theory as it relates to the Browns because it relates to them quite a bit. But one of the pieces of that theory is that any system, including the family as a system, has boundaries. And every family's boundaries are permeable to some extent. You can't completely keep the family separated. If you watch Welcome to Plathville, which 
Speaking of Patreon, I'm reviewing for Patreon. The the PLAS are an example of people in a system, at least early on, right, trying to keep as thorough a barrier between their family and the outside world as possible, and yet you can never completely separate. And so what Cody is talking about without meaning to is an example of this same concept from family systems theory, in that the Brown family bubble, if you will, can be entered and exited. There is a permeable barrier, but the barrier was more strict in certain ways than other families because of the nature of the secrecy of them being polygamist before they went public, of course. That illustrates that, as the theory states, a barrier is not permanent in how it functions. You might even be able to relate this to your own childhood or your current family. You know, did you grow up in a house where all your friends were basically family and they could come and go? Or were your parents more strict? Are you strict with who comes over, when and where? Are there curfews? Are there not? Those are different boundaries that your family as a system keeps in place. Isn't that cool? I think this is so cool. Of course, of course I do. (laughs) This is kind of my thing. But I think this stuff is, sorry, I just think this stuff is fun. I'll try to be more entertaining than this, I promise. So Cody talks about how it's very cool now that they're open to the public. He doesn't sound all that enthused, though, in his communication patterns and the way he's speaking. He's more calm than anything else. It's very snowy outside as we see the sports car pulling into a very slick-looking hospital parking lot. This was a little stressful for me because as I'm recording this, my kids' schools were shut down today for an e-learning day because of the icy roads, and including my job. Actually, I was going to go into work today, but the whole campus shut down. So it's just kind of funny symmetry, watching the Browns navigate what looked like very slippery, uh, at least a very slippery parking lot in the hospital. I'm sure the roads were safe, but you know, whatever. Mary is narrating that she has some medical concerns to get checked out. Back on the couch, she's talking matter-of-factly about her family history of colon cancer. Cody actually looks more emotional than she does. He looks quite stern. He isn't overly emotional. It doesn't seem fake or put on, but he, he's legitimately concerned. And I think he's non-verbally addressing and acknowledging the seriousness of the topic. He has his arm and his hand around Mary, too showing both fondness and closeness, but also nonverbal support. So again, contrasted with current day sister wives, we're seeing a lot of genuine, at least effort from Cody in terms of building and maintaining this relationship with Mary. The rewriting of history of Cody Brown and his ex-wives, we're all aware of it, but it really is interesting to go back and see how invested he was. Now, how did he feel? I can't say. Only he can say, and he is saying, do I think he's being honest? No, I don't. But what we can see is real effort and real investment in that relationship right now, as he should. Mary talks about her sister, Teresa, who tragically was diagnosed with colon cancer at 31 years old and died only months later. This is really affecting stuff. Lots of photos of her, her husband, and her kids. Mary talks about her sister wanting to fight to the end and not wanting to leave her children. As a parent, this is so much more affecting, by the way, than when I first saw the show or even the years after the show aired where I rewatched it before I had my own kids. Not to say that you can't be emotionally affected by this if you don't have kids. Of course you can. 
but there is like that feeling that I think every parent goes through at least once where you have a health scare or something else and you think like I don't want to I don't want to leave my kids I'm not ready I can't do that. So that was that was real. Mary notably though she's got real strength and kind of steel when she's talking about this. Now it was 6 years ago at the time this was filmed that her sister passed away and that's that's not a short amount of time. People do deal with grief over time and people deal with grief in different ways. Some people are very demonstrative of their grief, and some people, they keep it locked down and they keep it for their private moments. I don't know how I, well, I guess maybe I do know how I would talk about it. I'm not nearly so public as the Brown family, thank goodness, but I'm a lot more public than I used to be, as I always say. I don't know how I would handle talking about something like that in such a public setting. Something like this, something that raw, it's very powerful. Mary talks about how her sister wife, meaning Teresa's sister wife, took on her children after she passed away and how powerful and beneficial that was. We transition to the big house and Robin is picking up a fussy baby Truly who was being held by Brianna. Christine is in the background near Aspen and says, go see Robin, honey, to Truly. Reminds me of where Dayton was holding a fussy Truly and she calmed down after she was transferred. Sometimes that's all a baby or a tot needs. They want to be held, but they just want somebody else. Change of scenery, maybe. It looks to me, by the way, that they're in Janelle's dining room area. It's the same area anyway in the Halloween episode where Christine was doing Cody's hair for the party. On the couch with Christine and Janelle, both watching her speak, Robin is talking about the unspoken rule that if something happens to a wife, she would take her children and raise them. Robin is quite emphatic and serious, saying that these kids are her kids too. I do believe that Robin feels this way. I do. I think she's coming from a genuine place. I do think also Robin is undergoing a process of acculturation right now. And I think that Robin, I've said this before, but it's worth repeating, Robin is really trying to credential herself. Robin, I think, came into this family almost trying to hit the fast-forward button relationally. Let me know if you agree with this or not, by the way. I think Robin just wanted to kind of skip to the end. She wanted to be as much of a part of the family and be an equal mom, an equal partner immediately. And I think part of how she's doing that is she communicatively, through her words and so far her actions, although that kind of diminishes over time, She's trying to speak into being her role rather than her role being a natural part of the family. And I think this is more of this. This is Robin. I mean, you got to understand too, in the timeline, Robin hasn't known these kids that long. And you, you can bond with people quickly, yada, yada, yada. I get it. I get it. But I think my point stands that I think relationally, Robin's just trying to skip ahead. We cut back to the big house as Aurora and Brianna are playing rock, paper, scissors. Brianna wins, by the way, if you're curious. Rock beat scissors. That's about as much sports as I can talk about <laughs> on the podcast. Janelle talks about how in monogamous families, something happens to parents. They go to the sister, the grandma, etc. Calls it a built-in thing for them. They have other mothers in the family in terms of their family who would step in. It's interesting, by the way, that as Janelle is talking about this, she does not account for the role of the father in their family, specifically Cody. She even, by the way, is equating this to a monogamous couple, where one mother and one father 
And if they're both gone, then the children go to a sister or grandma, as she put it. So if one of the mothers in the Brown family was gone, though, Cody would ostensibly still be there. But she doesn't really acknowledge that, which I thought was telling. Maybe the subtext is that Cody is so overextended, he can't be counted on in the same way the wives could. That would be my guess, but to be clear, that is just a guess. Robin on the couch, thinking and subdued in her tone of voice. She doesn't like talking about this, I think, or at least she doesn't like the fact that what she's about to say is true. She says that things are more complicated for her kids because they do have a biological father outside of the Brown family unit. She calls it different and unfortunate. She looks away quickly, gives a small shrug and frowns. She very clearly, in words and behavior, is indicating she does not like that her children's biological father is still a factor. Now, I'm always thinking about how much of the deep-level Brown family, or in this case, Sullivan family history, I should get into because I have read and watched and learned extensively about the, shall we say, non-televised aspects of people's lives. I don't like to comment on that too much. It's one of those things like, if you know, you know. You know what I mean? I try to keep it mostly to what has been, for lack of a better term, canon on the show. But like, look, I need to acknowledge there's a lot of history and a lot of both sidesing and a lot of discourse about Robin and her previous husband. And if you dig even a little bit, you're going to find a lot of stuff that can really contextualize not just this conversation with Robin, but a lot of her behaviors in terms of the adoption and so on and so forth. But look, we're going to get to that later. Christine, with some real sincerity next to Robin, says that's making her very sad. This thought that Robin's children might end up with their biological dad at some point. Robin feeds into this. She places her hands on her knees, winces, drawing back as if it's just this horrific thought, her children being with their biological father. Christine gets incensed and says she'd fight for them. Interestingly, by the way, if you watch this on the couch, Janelle is there and she just looks flatly right at the camera. Doesn't look at Robin, doesn't look at Christine, does not deviate in her facial expression. I think this was a purposeful display of no emotion. Very, very stark contrast between her reaction and Christine's. Almost like Christine kind of took some emotional bait and Janelle purposely did not. Back at the hospital, Mary says that she had recently done some work with a cancer research organization. So I'm guessing the combination of that and her sibling passing away from colon cancer, maybe this work had recently unearthed the presence of her higher risk. She says that colon cancer is hard to discover until it's progressed, which is true. This is the importance of colonoscopies. Mary and Cody arrive at the gastroenterologist's office carpeted, some taupe walls. It's kind of a typical hospital suite for this kind of thing. This could be like any hospital suite I've ever been to in any part of the country, by the way. It's funny how much they always tend to look alike. I'm sure there's a reason in the, the dressing and, and the, you know, it's warm, but not too warm. It's, it's clinical, but not too clinical, I think is the goal. Mary tells the camera they're there for a consultation today and says that she isn't exactly sure what it's going to entail. And she looks to Cody and away from the camera for support. The receptionist, by the way, who is checking them in, has a lovingly framed photo of a little baby. Babies are great. Mary sits down in the examination room, and Cody immediately puts his arm around her, like right away. More nonverbal support through touch, through haptics. 
on the couch. Again, he also has his arm around her as Mary starts talking about how she just doesn't know what's going on, and her sister didn't either. In comes Dr. Carnum, quite smiley. Very good bedside manner from Dr. Carnum, by the way. Shakes both Mary and Cody's hands. Mary's first, which I thought was a classy little touch, because she is the patient, and so the fact that he addressed her first I thought was nice. Also gentlemanly, but I think it was more of a you know, doctor-patient communication kind of thing. He intently, the doctor does, looks them both in the eye while speaking to them. Making direct eye contact, we tend to understand as a show of trustworthiness and investment. However, for people like me who have ADD and cannot make eye contact, <laughs> I can do it if I force myself to do it. Folks, eye contact is so hard for me. And I can sometimes seem like I'm not trustworthy or like I don't care. I care so much. I just can't look at you. I'm sure you have a great face for looking at. But if I ever just don't look at you, don't take it personally. It's just my brain. (laughs) Okay. Mary smiles warmly at the doctor. So either she's putting on a better face than she feels or hopefully his bedside manner is soothing her. It might even be a bit of both. Asks the usual screening questions for any warning signs, eating habits, bowel issues. He's quite wide-eyed and emphatic, gesturing towards Mary. He's leaning over on the exam table, saying that due to her sister's passing, Mary is at much higher risk, and he accents his words by putting out a flat-palmed hand and raising it up to his eye level. Mary watching this, she's touching her face in a self-soothing gesture. She seems very intent on the doctor, very serious, which I cannot blame her. Cody, too, is invested in active listening, is what we call it when someone is just listening, but they're nodding along and affirming that they're paying attention. Dr. Carnum talks about the colonoscopy, how they're going to screen for polyps, all that stuff. Mary on the couch, as Cody is holding her, looks quite serious. She seems moved and shaken up as she talks about the realization of just how much higher her risk really is. She says it brought more realism into her world. I feel for her a lot in this moment. That's hard. When you realize, wait, this might be more dangerous. I might be at more risk. This might, like, the worst case scenario might be more likely than I had allowed myself to think about. That's a hard moment. I've been through this, by the way. I had to be screened for colon cancer in my 30s, and it was scary. I'm glad I did it. Everything was fine. I'm glad I did it, but yeah, it's weird when you're in that process, and it's like, let's find out what is or isn't going on. That uncertainty can be quite uncomfortable. But Mary, kind of pivoting here to the other plot of the episode, says, Colonoscopy or no, life goes on as scheduled. They're talking about this party with their non-polygamous friends. All together on the couch, by the way, there's all the brown adults now. Christine says that they all invited some people. We see footage of Mary and Christine arriving at Robin's rental with Truly in a covered car seat. Mary is chastising Christine for bringing the baby at all, it seems like. And Christine over the top says, I know, but she's got this cute little outfit, which, fair enough. Christine on the couch again is emphasizing that all the guests are monogamists or not married at all. They keep, by the way, talking about this over and over again throughout the episode. Christine plops baby Truly on Robin's kitchen peninsula and Truly smiles at Mary. Cody talks about having a friendship appreciation dinner, shakes his head, and with some sarcasm says, to thank them in spite of them being a pariah. This, okay, they just keep talking about the premise of this party and it's starting to really clearly kind of give the plot away that this was a TLC idea. By the way, this seems like something that TLC said, hey, have some friendly people over, have a party, 
basically, look, we need you to interact with some normies. It'll be fun. People will like it. That's my, not just my assumption, that's my interpretation of how they're acting. At Robin's rental, Robin is fussing over Truly's nose and asks, what happened? Christine says that Truly fell off her bed and Mary jokes that Christine pushed the baby off her bed. Christine loudly tells her to shut up and Robin makes this kind of scandalized, open-mouthed, shocked face at Mary. This uh, wasn't funny at all. It's kind of a nightmare for your baby to fall down, to, to fall off of furniture. Like, look, you know me, I'm, I'm not a parent shamer, whatever, whatever happened, happened. That's not funny. I, I, I hated this, I'll be honest. I, I don't like to use that word very often. I did not like this. This Brown family, nasty, non-jokes, the passive aggressive non-jokes are not funny. Because in essence, what they tend to do, by the way, Mary especially, I think Mary does this more than anyone else, is they pick at people in the family not just picking at them, but they tend to pick at their core values of the other person. Christine, I know Christine works, even though they don't really acknowledge it in the show. Thank you for pointing that out to me. <laughs> you know who you are. But Christine, you know, she herself has gone on record as saying like her most important part of her life is being a mother and to joke about not just being a non-attentive mother, but to joke about being like an actively cruel mother. It's just not funny. It, it feels like a cheap shot. Could be some subconscious things about Mary's complicated relationship with her ability to plan her family the way she wanted to. I don't know. You can go down that road if you want. I, I don't. I couldn't tell you you're wrong. What I do feel confident in talking about is that this was passive-aggressive, nasty, and unnecessary. Christine seems fine, though. She, Mary, and Robin are moving some furniture around, and Robin's, as Mary now on the couch, talks about keeping your distance from people. And Robin says the same, and Christine once again tells that story about her grandfather's incarceration for bigamy charges. The shows that this, once again, is a big family narrative for her. There's a warm moment as Mary illustrates putting tables together by having Robin and Christine stand shoulder to shoulder with her. It was a nice little moment of levity, especially after what we just saw shows kind of a bond and a closeness in their ability to be comfortable with each other physically. The, the proxemics, as we say, the closeness, the use of space, they do seem quite, you know, close, literally and figuratively. Cody on the couch is quite serious now, frowning, talking about testing people, trying to kind of figure out who was safe with the knowledge of their lifestyle. This is what we call a discreditable stigma. So if you have some sort of social attribute, like being a polygamist, that isn't physical or immediately noticeable, you know, like something just physically being different with you. It's what we call a discreditable or hidden stigma. So if you're an addict or if you have a non-traditional lifestyle, and I'm not saying any specific things should be stigmatized. I'm saying just things that can be socially stigmatized but are hidden. You, in essence, get to choose for the most part when and where that information is released to other people. And that's what he's talking about in terms of being a polygamist. And Janelle talks about not wanting to be reduced to just one attribute, just that one stigmatizing attribute. She says when people find out, you become a polygamist and not a person, in so many words. I think we've all been through that to some degree. And like, yeah, okay, I'm that, but I'm all kinds of other things too. Christine talks about this story of Logan as a child defending McKelty, and in the heat of the moment, referring to her as his sister. 
And then young Logan being taken aback at the potential ramifications of what he'd said as they have different mothers. Christine explains, gesturing that Logan had thought that this kid would assume they're a polygamist family, which really scared him. He doesn't elaborate further, but I'm assuming that that is not ultimately what happened. Janelle ticking things off on her fingers describes things like child marriages, fraud, things that people assume of them based on their lifestyle. The editors put in an amazing photo of all the brown kids at that point, all quite young, lined up doing handprints in cement. Really a remarkable photo. All these little kids with these joyous faces. Cody on the couch is all fired up. He's restrained, but he's clearly angry. He says that all of them have faced 100% full rejection because they're different. It says people don't like what they don't understand. That is true. Sometimes people don't like what they do understand, though, to be fair. Cody calls the wives on speakerphone, and as he wraps up the conversation, only Robin says that she loves him, and then Christine and Mary quickly say it as he's hanging up. Robin makes the decision to explain painstakingly what just happened, even though everyone was there. Christine in particular seems a bit uncomfortable, I think, although it's hard to tell. I think Robin was over-lingering on it, and it wasn't a great choice. I actually think she was coming across as critical when she didn't even necessarily mean to be. I think she was just kind of being awkward. Robin on the couch talks about people assuming that the wives have no self-esteem because they sort of are voluntarily cheated on by Cody. She gestures with both hands toward her head, saying that, you know, in their brains, Cody's cheating on them, and Cody looks at her intently, frowning, but I looked, I scanned the couch, nobody else really reacted to this very much other than Cody. Robin, Christine, and Mary roll into Kohler's Bakery, Deli, Video, and Pharmacy. Oh my god, y'all remember when there were video stores and grocery stores? Take me back, Lord. <laughs> the Lehigh Kohler's, by the way, I looked it up, it's now known as Pioneer Market as of April of 2023, and I wish them well. Fingers crossed they bring back the video store. They are not going to bring back the video store. But they should. Anyway. On the couch, Robin says they have a different way, but it really is about the girl. Maybe just felt a little awkward for her to say out loud, but she does seem to feel that it's true. We see the three wives goofing off at Kohler's together. They're dancing in the aisles. They're laughing a lot, genuine laughter. They really do seem to be having a lot of fun. And Janelle, who is conspicuously missing from this scene, confirms that this is why she does not go and just works a lot. She even uses, uses a pretty loaded word, calls them embarrassing. Mary on the couch, in reaction to this, doubles over in laughter. Robin laughs a bit, and Christine smiles a little and looks at Janelle, but not nearly as over the top and not nearly as positive of a response. I wonder if Mary is just the most comfortable with this critique, if Mary has heard it the most, Mary just was impacted the least, I'm not sure. Early morning pre-dawn at the big house, Cody walks up the stairs from the basement, so he must have spent the night with Christine, and he goes to Mary's to get Mary ready for her appointment. He's already dressed in a button-down and jeans, asks Mary if she's hungry, which, to have a colonoscopy, she had to have fasted, and yeah, let's just say there's other prep too, which isn't the most fun thing in the world, so let me just leave it at Mary is very hungry. <laughs> Cody did say it softly in tonality, though, I think more in commiseration. He's not trying to be funny, he's not trying to poke at her, Mary, with some clearly feigned positivity, says today she gets to have a colonoscopy and cheers, trying to make the best of it, which honestly, sometimes that's all you can do. 
Mary once again talks about her sister Teresa and how her diagnosis was six years ago, and at the time they told Teresa's siblings, including Mary, that they should be screened too, which Mary says was in the back of her mind. Christine on the couch with just Janelle and Robin is quite serious and stern, says she was angry and had told Mary for years to get the procedure. Janelle echoes the same thing because Teresa's could have been caught early and she may still be with us if it had been. This may be true, but from a grief standpoint, yeah, you know, I'm typically pro Janelle. I think this was a mistake. I think that being critical and clinical is Janelle's bailiwick. I just think someone's passed away. I don't know what benefit there is to sort of tell someone else, including to try to steer their behavior, to say that their dead loved one might still be around if. I just I just don't think that's constructive. I don't think most people would take that in the productive way that Janelle would want. Janelle not being very warm, not being very caring, just kind of chastising Mary, who again is not there, would only hear this later, says this isn't something to take lightly, calls it horribly devastating. This is all true. And like objectively, should Mary have gotten screened way before this? Yes, of course. But I'm not going to pretend I don't understand how the trauma of her sister's loss and the awful potential outcome of finding out that you have the same illness. I, I do. I get why Mary would put it off and put it off and probably just put it off a little bit at a time over and over again. I, I would not recommend anyone do that. I am going to say that I understand it. Back at the very slushy hospital parking lot, Mary says that she needs to get checked for polyps or, God forbid, tumors. That particular linguistic choice, God forbid, shows that this is weighing on her. Seems very windy outside in Lehigh. It's quite cold in the parking lot. Cody kind of tellingly pulls his jacket collar up. Very gentlemanly, he goes to the passenger side door of the sports car and opens Mary's door for her. Nice job. Mary says four of her siblings have had colonoscopies and each have had polyps. So it seems quite clear that there is some sort of genetic link here. You really would think this would motivate her. I, I don't know. Mary explains the connection between polyps and colon cancer, the process for removing and performing biopsies, all pretty nerve-wracking stuff, but again, good reasons to get it addressed. Mary now being triaged by a nurse, she seems visibly nervous, and on the couch she confirms that this is the case. She's wheeled out on a hospital bed. Cody says they've never discussed what they'd do if Mary had and he raises his eyebrows in this moment for emphasis, cancer. I don't blame them for not wanting to talk about that in detail until they absolutely had to. It can be easy to get caught up in the worst case scenario and go down that road and get incredibly stressed out and make all these plans that never end up being necessary. Dr. Carnum explains the sedation process. Mary is about to get knocked out. Like you're up, you're awake, you're talking. Something smells a little funny and you're just, you wake up and it's done. <laughs> Been there, done that. Dr. Carnum asks Cody to come over as Mary is being scoped. Cody talks about first wanting to make sure she's okay, which I understand if to see your partner in that setting, to see them so vulnerable and in this strange situation. Cody hovers over Mary, who's sedated on the hospital bed, and he seems really concerned and focused on her. Dr. Carnum shows Cody a polyp that they had found while scoping Mary, and Cody observes it being removed. Cody points, asks, there's a polyp, okay. Dr. Carnum explains this all very patiently and says that the examination is concluded, and then he tells the camera, not Cody, the doctor does, 
that two polyps were found and they will be sent to the lab. Cody is very kindly and lovingly touching and speaking quietly to Mary as she wakes up from her sedation. Dr. Parnum explains that she did very well. Sleepy Mary smiles at this as Cody is reassuringly stroking her hair. A lot of signs of relational closeness, a lot of signs of physical, emotional support. Mary is on the couch, and Cody has his arm around her still, and even leaning in towards her as she talks about the waiting period for the results of her biopsy and says she's nervous, which how could you not be? Knowing that there's potentially something there, knowing there is something there, and it's potentially really bad, but having to wait, I, I, oh, it's the worst. She does say positively and calmly the party has helped her take her mind off it. They, for some reason, again, folks, explain that they're having friends over. It's a celebration of friends. They're not polygamists. Thank you so much. I, I I have come to terms with this by now. Thank you. The brown adults are bringing in boxes of dishware and etc. into Robin's rental for the party. Cody's outside complaining that he has no help shoveling the driveway because baby man can't do a simple task. On the couch, Christine, with real contrition and embarrassment, says she was supposed to have the boys come help shovel. Cody, really angry about having to do the back-breaking work of shoveling the world's smallest driveway, is yelling and barking at Christine. I need to do this before it freezes. Very rude. On the couch, Christine talks about being in trouble, and Robin, Mary, and especially Cody smile at her. Cody is quite pleased in the retelling about this. He even leans his head back and laughs. Back at the rental, Cody's still complaining more, shoveling, and she kind of brushes him off. Once Christine goes inside, he even stands there and kind of glares at the door. Oof. Robin makes some food in the kitchen, talking about how it's nice to cook together. Pivots to how everyone else is having a good time at the big house without her, and she gets lonely. She doesn't sound sad, more matter-of-fact. Christine says, well, sometimes we aren't having a good time. Sometimes they're separate too, even in the house. I think in retrospect, this was a more weighted exchange than maybe it seems like on its face. Christine is making ambrosia and a bowl, offers it to Robin, who says that she'll barf. Robin laughs and instead feeds it to Christine, who is talking with her mouth full. They laugh. This is kind of a nice moment. Cody enters, by the way, and things immediately get tense, like everybody's posture changes, and his posture is denoting anger, or at least not being happy. He's got his arms out, he's frowning. Robin in voiceover confirms this, says that sometimes it's easier without him around, but she doesn't talk about it because of his mood, it's because they worry instead that they're hurting each other's feelings by not wanting to be too affectionate with Cody. I'm sure that's true, but in the scene we see we can tell that Cody entering can sometimes just sort of blow up what is otherwise positive interaction between wives. Mary starts asking Cody about the table setup and how she and Robin have different ideas for how to put them together or apart. Robin is in the bathroom putting on makeup, talking about her own jealousy issues and, and acknowledging that she has difficult days where Cody just comes across as being really close emotionally to another wife, and she has to be secure for that not to bother her. Interesting. Cody, for the record, seems to agree with Mary about how to put the tables together. Robin, still not sure. Folks are arriving at the rental, fawning over a little baby, lots of hugs between the Browns and assembling friends. Seems like a positive thing. Seems like a happy gathering. On the couch, Cody references scripture about not hiding your light under a bushel and says that was kind of the motivating factor for him going public, to which I say, sure, Jan. Christine says that she's loved being open about her family, 
Her head is up high, indicating that she's being serious and truthful. Janelle talks about all the gossip and people running around work, staring at her after she went public. She does say that with some surprise, people with other different lifestyles approached her kind of in solidarity, which I believe that that did happen. And I think that that's lovely. I think that's kind of an under-discussed by me, by the way. I'm not saying under-discussed by you. Positive of sister wives, especially at the onset, is just not polygamous necessarily, but people with just different ways of life can see themselves in the Browns on an intellectual level. Janelle's coworker Mark is at the party talking about this talking about how exciting and cool it was and how he sent a text with a bunch of smiley faces, which was nice. Christine talks about her boss, who would always introduce her as a plig. More stories about the Brown family, lots of laughter and warmth from guests and Browns themselves. Robin introduces Danielle, who was her best friend since middle school, who says that she didn't know about Robin's family until the end of the first year of their friendship, and says that the disclosure made them stronger. This is very representative. We build relationships, including friendships, through disclosure, typically slowly and over time, although everyone's different, but it's it's a key way that we build trust and build emotional closeness. Danielle puts a hand on her chest, emphasizing emotion, how important it was. Cody toasts to friendship, looks like everyone is drinking water, no wine like in season 18, but you know what, it's wine o'clock somewhere. Cody and Mary arrive at the hospital for the biopsy results. Mary points out that just the presence of polyps altogether increase risk of colon cancer. Mary goes through triage again. Dr. Carnum enters and wishes them a happy new year, which Cody echoes. The doctor sits and immediately says he has good news, no cancer. Says the polyp could have become cancerous over time, and both Cody and Mary react verbally to this. This was, you know, kind of a big thing to hear. Cody on the couch emphasized that the doctor immediately told them that it's okay. And that's a really good point. That was a really good choice the doctor made. You know, if you have this situation where people have been tense and waiting for the results, you don't want to hem and haw about it, right? You want to put them at ease as soon as you possibly can. And I think the doctor did a good job of doing that. And Cody seemingly felt the same way. Cody and Mary are both smiling, pleased about the good news. Cody quietly to Mary on the couch as we end the episode says that he should appreciate all their time together, kind of communicating that maybe he's learned a lesson from this. Mary laughs and then just says, I do, which was interesting. So Cody opening up with some vulnerability that maybe he should do better, and Mary made an interesting choice to position herself almost in opposition as, well, I don't have to make that choice because I already do that positive thing. One thing I know relationally, is when someone does or even offers to do something you want them to do, you want to encourage it. You know, the worst, when I was a kid, I was not very social. And when I would come downstairs and socialize, my family would always say, wow, look who's finally decided to join us. And you know what it made me want to do? Not try to socialize anymore. Because I felt like, okay, I'm doing what you want me to do. And you're kind of making fun of me for it. Like, why would that encourage me? That's sort of what this felt like to me from Mary. I don't think it was the right move, but who knows? That is the episode, Season 2, Episode 6, Polygamous Party. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and making me a very small part of your day. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you to everyone who supports me on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Sister Wives Professor. I have reviews of the talkbacks and lookbacks. I have exclusive Sister Wives deep dives, office hours podcasts, where if you like the sound of my voice and you just want to hear me talk positively, I recently released a podcast where I talk to you about why trash TV, as they call it, is good for you and actually shows that you're smart, not the opposite. And at the doctoral level, if you want to hear me do this, but about Plathville, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, or even there's a tier now where you can just request I review something just for you, all that's available. But listen, all that really matters to me is that you be kind to yourself because you deserve kindness. I hope this podcast was a positive part of your day. At the end of the day, that's what I want the most. If you have questions or you want to talk to me, send me an email, thesisterwivesprofessor at gmail.com, or I'm on Facebook. I'm everywhere. I'm not hard to find. Thank you so much. Take care. I will see you very soon. The thing